Uh, last week sometime I sat in Doc's office and he checked this old 73-year-old body out. And uh, he said, we've got some things we need to work on. Amen. So I've been working on those things. And he said, we're borderline on some things and some things you just need to change. Change is a part of our life, isn't it? Amen. And uh, this last week, Thursday, I think it was, I realized that uh, Debbie's working in Pennsylvania, so I, I went to the mailbox and found out I had been dilatory in that uh, obligation. So I found a white package in that thing that said Jerry Irwin on it. And I opened it up, and it's a heart monitor. Thank God I get rid of that thing tomorrow. In the morning, it will be the first thing in the mail. But I've had that thing since Thursday, and uh, I am aware of it. It, it. Brian put it on, and he said, Dad, we've got a shave up there. And he said, they've got a thing called an abrader. And he said, uh, I don't really know what that does, but it says don't leave that process out. So a braider is a piece of sandpaper is what it is, folks. And, buddy, when they start rubbing you with that sandpaper, roughing up that area, you'll say, hold it, hold it, slow up there. That hurts. But it just makes the thing stick to you better, I reckon. I wonder if we could attach a spiritual monitor to us. I wonder if there's something that would read spirituality, growth, faith, Joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, long-suffering, faith, patience, temperance, all those things that accompany spirituality. I wonder how we would all meter out. Need some help in some areas and uh, okay in others. Uh, that would probably be the consensus for most of us. But one thing is for certain, change is inevitable, isn't it? Amen. I, I often say... When you're looking at me, you may not see what you want to see. And you may not see all I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Amen. But I hope that you can say that you've grown in God. That you've made some progress in being more like Jesus. And about allowing the life of Jesus to come into our, our everyday lives and be a part of our home and our family and our business and everything that we do. Absolutely. But the real paradox of that is God said, I am the Lord, and I don't change. And I'm changing every day. But he doesn't ever change. He's an omniscient God, which means he knows everything. He's an omnipotent God, which means he's all-powerful. He's an omnipresent God, which means he's everywhere. He's here. He's in China He's in Washington. He's in all parts of the world all at one time. Omnipresence means he's everywhere. He can be with you riding to work in the morning, and he can be with a guy selling on a Chinese junket on the Yellow Sea. He can be everywhere present, and that's one of the great attributes about our God. He is bound by nothing else but his word. And the promises that he has made to us. All of the promises of God are non-negotiable. All the promises of God are yea and amen. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness. But he is long-suffering to us. Not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. His will is that everybody gets saved. His will is everybody go to heaven. His will is that good things happen in your life, that goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. He wants your life to be blessed and have good things in it. He's all about blessing. He's not against you. He's for you. And if God be for us, who or what could be against us? Hallelujah. I just feel like the Lord wants to bring to our minds attention today the fact that we must grow. 
We could not find a place of status quo and just level off there and stay at that place. God isn't pleased with us when we stop growing. Are you serious, Pastor? Yes, I'm very serious. His goal for every one of us is to press toward the mark. Keep going one step at a time, one day at a time. Keep growing. Don't quit. Keep eating from the Word of God. Keep doing godly things. Keep acting like a Christian. Keep going to church. Keep singing. And keep all those things that He tells us to keep in order to be a part of His uh, blessed presence and the glory that is shared with all of us. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, For I am the Lord, and I change not, therefore. Why is that therefore, therefore? I am the Lord, and I don't change, therefore. All you sons of Jacob, all you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Because I have a covenant with you, you don't have to be afraid about anything happening to you. Because I am the Lord, and I will not change what I have said to you and done in your midst. I won't renegotiate the contract. I'm always going to be just like I am right now. And because I won't change, you will never be defeated, and you will never... Glory to God. Because I am the Lord. And I don't change there. You can relax, praise God. You're changing every day and growing in grace. But as far as your faith is concerned, you can rest in the promises of God. You can rest in the fact that Jesus has won an everlasting victory for you. Keep pressing. Keep going because God has ordained a great future for you. A great future for you. He has good things in store for you. In Isaiah chapter 46, chapter that's 46 and 2. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is none else. There is none else. I am God and there is none else. No matter how that humanism wants to invent other gods, and no matter how interpreters wish to talk about God is the same person just revealed in, in different uh, personalities. No. He said, I am the Lord and there is no God beside me. I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Verse 10 says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. In other words, God does what he pleases. God goes where he wants. God acts in the way that he is most blessed by, where his glory is revealed, where the blessedness of his presence is. God says, I'm not going to change. There's not another God. There's none like me. None like me. None like me. Somebody say, none like me. There is none like me, and rest assured, my will will be done. Wow. I will do what I please to do. So he is not bound by anything that we can imagine. In God, there is no variance, and there's no shadow of turning. In God, from day to day, morning to morning, he rolls out the heavens every morning. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the creator God, and all things consist by the word of his mouth. No variance, no shadow. And so it was in, in Old Testament times, and God honored his commitment to a group of people called the patriarchs. And then in the New Testament, he has honored his promises to a people called the church. The church. God has a church. I said, God has a church. It's made up of all the redeemed, all of the washed by blood of Jesus, all whose names are in the Lamb's book of life. You are a part of God's family. You're of the household of God. You're a holy temple that's fitly framed together. You're a, a, a people that have 
times past not been a people, but now you are the people of God. You're a chosen generation and a royal priesthood that you may show forth the praises of him who has called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Hallelujah. The church is the happy recipients of the promises of God that are yea and amen. He has made, the Bible said, exceeding and great promises to usward who believe. He himself is a promise. He has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will go with you all the way. Has anybody here sensed the presence of God with you? Four years ago, we did a study about our centennial, and we've put it together, and hopefully we'll get it in your hands soon, of a hundred years of ministry for this church. This church is 104 years old. Wow. And I want to tell you, you're not here because you're pretty. And you're not here because there aren't folks that do church better than you. You aren't here for any other reason than God has purposed and chosen, and God has ordained, and God has established and God has supplied the need. So many times when this church was so very close to going out of business. So many times in the past when numbers dwindled to a few. But somehow through all of those processes, God has maintained His will and His pleasure. And He's brought us to this place where we are today. Many, many are the testimonies of great, great people who were faithful in the most harsh and difficult times. They just doggedly hung in there and, and stayed faithful to God. I can take you to places in that story. You'll read it when you read the history about people that actually mortgaged their milk cow in order to help make payments on this church. And that's when churches, the payment wasn't but a hundred and something dollars. And they had trouble paying that. And faithful people, one little lady, I was trying to remember her name, mortgaged her milk cow. Now what bank would uh, let collateral be a milk cow? What banker would sit there and say, I'm going to loan you money on your milk cow? I wonder how much it was. I didn't get the amount. It couldn't have been much. But it was her little part that she could play. For years, this church made hamburgers on certain times of the month and uh, took them to the mill and took them to the pop shop to raise money to make it, just to make it. What a wonderful blessing it is for us to sit here in a multi-million dollar building but I want to tell you there was a cost that was paid and there was a price that was paid and there were people that were faithful that hung in there in spite of all things going on they they just doggedly determined we will not be defeated we'll get through this if God is with us and if God is for us then we will get through this and that's the way you got to serve the Lord is you've got to just be doggedly determined that you're going to believe God, that you're going to believe the report of the Lord, that you're going to make sure that you do what God wills and what God purposes. This world is in a real change right now. Aniston is in a real change right now. Alabama is in a real transition. For weeks I've been preaching to you about transition and transformation. Oh, we've talked about change so very much and how God blesses us when we change in the right way, when we make positive things out of negative things, when we play, play, make inclusive things out of things that divide, when we can change the, the complexion of things the, that it was something that would, would hurt and it becomes something it would bless. You see, God loves to do that. That's why Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it as evil to me, but God meant it for good. I said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. 
How many times has God taken something disastrous and catastrophic and changed it into something good? How many times has God taken something that was a failure and made it a success? Amen. How many times has God taken something you'd given up on and counted down and out and God brought resurrection life to that thing and made it work where you, it was said that's not going to work. God made it work. God is a God who is skilled in taking garbage and rubbish and making something great out of it. You just have to give it to God. I said, you have to give it to God. I said, you have to give it to God. He said, just give me the clay. Just give me your house. When you come forward, just a lump of clay, just a lump of dust and dirt, 98 cents is your worth in minerals. Wow, held together by a bunch of water. But what blessing it is that God says, if you'll just give me that, if you'll just give me that, I'll change it. And I'll make it into something that is wonderful and something that is beautiful. How many derelicts, drunkards, lost people, dopeheads has God turned around and made them flaming messengers for the Lord Jesus? How many times has God taken somebody that the world has given up on and said he'll die like he lives? He's sorry, he's good for nothing, but God says if you'll just give him to me. If you'll just let me have him, I'll transform him. I'll, I'll, I'll transition him. I'll make something positive out of all the negatives that have gone on in his life. God says, just give me the clay. If you'll give me the clay, he'll make rubies out of your rubbish. He'll make diamonds out of your debris. He'll make gems out of your garbage. God says, just give me what you got. Put it in my hand, and I'll use it for my glory. For a man named Shamgar in the Old Testament, the Bible said, he, God said, what you got in your hand? He said, I just got an ox goad. I'm a dirt-busting farmer, and all I've got is this stick to stick the oxen in the side to make him take another step. And God said, are you willing to let it be used? Are you willing to put it in my hand? And he said, yes, I am, God. And when all the other farmers ran from the Philistines, Shamgar stood up and said, I'm taking my ox goad right here, and I'm going to work. And when he got through working, a thousand Philistines lay on the ground dead because he put something in the hand of God. When you put something in God's hand, God takes it and wins victory after victory and success after success when it becomes God's. When it becomes God's, Moses had a rod. God asked him, he said, a staff, he said, what is that you got in your hand? He says, just a stick. I, I found it was shaped in such a way that it would help me be a good shepherd. Got a hook on it so I can lift those sheep off the crevices when they are in danger. It's got a straight end on it so I can wrap them on the rump when they need to be corrected. And God said, would you willing, be willing to give it to me? He said, yes, I'll let you have it. And that rod, when he threw it upon the ground, became a serpent. And when he reached and got it again, it became a stick. In other words, what the magicians were doing down in Egypt, God said, you don't have to have a illusion or a, a, a trickery and you don't have to have have something that, that fools people into seeing something they're not. I can do the real thing. I can do the real thing. I can throw the stick down and it'll become a serpent. You can pick it up. It'll become a stick again. In fact, you can stretch it out over the waters and I'll cause those waters to roll back and I'll cause the water to be of none effect and God's people will make their escape and the Pharaoh and the enemies of God will be drowned in what I use if you'll just let me have it. If you'll just let me have it. Some of you are saying today, well, I wonder what I've got that God could use for his glory. I wonder what's in my hand. I wonder what's at home in my house. I, I wonder where what I've got that God would use if I would just put it in his hand. I promise you for every one of us that are here, there's something that God can use, 
something you're holding on to real tightly. But I want to tell you, if you'll release it into the hand of God, great things will happen when you give it to God. Our greatest item of faith is that we know who God is. He said, I am the Lord, I don't change, none like me. But do you know him? I said, do you know him? Do you know him in the power of his resurrection? Do you know him in the fellowship of his sufferings? Do you know the Lord Jesus in the love he exhibited on the cross at Calvary? Do you know him? The Bible said, they that come unto God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Glory to God. Brother, when I come to God, I, I, I'm not approaching a stranger and I don't have to introduce myself. I can walk into the throne room of grace by invitation and say, My heavenly Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. I can address him as my Father because I know who he is. I know in whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. We must know who Jesus is. We must know who God is. 1 John 4, 15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. Wow. It's on the screen. Brother, are you getting the impact of what that says? Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you know who Jesus is? The Son of God. God dwells in him. God dwells in him and he in God. Acts 10, 38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good, healing all that were sick and oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Whosoever confesses that Jesus is Lord, that he's the Son of God, God dwells in him and he dwells in God. Oh, it's so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Colossians 1 and 10 says that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You see, God wants you to increase every day in knowing in whom you have believed. God wants you to increase and grow every day in appreciation for what God has done for every one of us. He wants His grace to be more abounding. He wants to be his, his love to be more unsurpassing. He wants to be so powerful in our lives and powerful in our church that when we come in, we don't have to introduce ourselves as if we're a stranger. We walk in saying, man, I feel God in this house. Man, I felt the Lord. In fact, the Bible tells us, Pastor, that there was a, a gathering and they were all assembled. And Joel, they got to church that day, but they wouldn't go in. They were all assembled. Peggy knows this story well. And they didn't go in. And when the prophet got there, he said, why are you guys all standing out here? They said, the glory of the Lord is so powerful in that house that we can't go in. Buddy, I wish I'd pull up on these grounds one Sunday morning and all of you standing in the parking lot. I wish I could ask somebody, Michelle, what are you doing standing out here? You said, oh, pastor, every time we open that door to go in that building, something just takes over us and captivates us. There's something that's so powerful in that house that we don't know if we should go in there or not. Oh, I wish God would do that again. 
I wish God would be so glorious in his power and so all-sufficient in his miracle-working grace that people would be astounded and people would be amazed at what God does through his people. I want to tell you, church, we'll never be the church God wants us to be until the glory of the Lord is powerful in our meeting place. No wonder people say, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Oh, you shouldn't hang your head and say, I got to go to church Sunday. You ought to say, oh, I get to go to God's house Sunday. What a privilege, what a blessing it is to assemble and gather in his name. Immediately when you rise from that altar of conversion as a newborn babe in Christ, desiring the sincere milk of the word. Why? That ye may grow. God wants me to get up out of this altar of conversion and start growing as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Immediately something happens. Immediately something spiritually takes place. A rebirth. A taking over spiritually of everything in your life. Morning by morning, new mercies you'll find. Deeper, deeper in the love of Jesus you will go. And so very sweet is that fellowship with the Lord and with what he's done in your life that the Bible said, I have not seen and ear hath not heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Boy, what an awesome statement that is. And that's not all in the sweet by and by. It's in the here and now. There are some eschatological, that means future. There are some eschatological tones in what he's saying. Yes, God's got a great reward for us in heaven. But right here on this earth, living this life, he's got good things. In fact, he said no good thing would he withhold from them that love him. And he said, if you being earthly know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give the things of the spirit of God to them that love him? To them that love him, to them that know him, to them that are part of the family, to them that aren't, aren't ashamed to lift their hands and say, the Lord is my God and the Lord is the light of my life. You see, there are two schools of thought and we have to make a decision what we're going to be. What are those things? Well, let's start right there in 1 Corinthians 2 and 9 where I just quoted from that as it is written, I hath not seen or ear heard, neither have entered the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love them. But God hath revealed them unto us. God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. The Spirit of the Holy God, our Holy Ghost is in you. What's it doing? Revealing, teaching, leading encouraging, lifting, glory to God, empowering. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth. Something we don't learn out of a history book or a physics book. No, those things that are spiritually discerned. The Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God, which things also, not of the earthly gathering of that information, but of a revelation revealing unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. In other words, it's Spirit of God plus nothing. Take what God says and let that be what you say. Take what God reveals and let that be how you live. The Spirit searcheth all things, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man that's in him. 
Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. By His Spirit. By His Spirit. Now we have received not the Spirit which is of the world, but the Spirit which is of God. Anybody receive the Spirit of God? Not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God. Why has God given to the church the Spirit of God? That we might know the things that are freely given to us by God. Which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. And then he goes on to say, For the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Now who is the natural man? It is the person unaided by the Spirit of God. He's lost. Paul said, having no hope and without God in the world. He's alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. He's a stranger from the covenant of promise. In other words, he's spiritually blind. 2 Corinthians 3 and 3 and 4, If the gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world. You mean this world's got a spirit too? Yes, the spirit is in the world. There is a spirit that is of this world. The spirit of the age. It's in the world. And not only is there a spirit, there is a God. The God of this world. What does he do? Hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. Why has the God of this world, who is Satan, blinded the minds of people so they could not see the gospel and could not observe the things that tell them God cares about them, God loves? Why? He said that Satan hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them that they might be saved. Wow. Oh, God, take the blinders off of people in Anniston, Alabama. Oh, God, take the blinders off our relatives that are not saved. Oh, God, take the blinders off the people that we work with so that they can see the gospel. If your gospel's hid, it's hid to them that are lost. God, don't let it be hid anymore, but help your people to throw the bushel away and let the light shine. Help us, God, to throw off all of those clothes of carnality. And determined that we're going to be spiritually led and spiritually transitioned. What a great verse that is. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Why? For they are foolishness unto him. Have you ever tried to explain something spiritual to some natural person, unconverted, unaided by the Spirit? You probably got an eye lifted and probably got a, that's crazy, man. And don't expect any other result. Because the Bible said the things of God are foolishness to them that are lost. In fact, the Bible says the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that are lost. But to we which are saved, it's the power of God unto salvation. So what's foolishness to the world for us is power with God. What is crazy to this world is knowledge and wisdom to the people of God. Are you seeing the difference in the natural and the spiritual? For I too was once so lost. One time I too wore those spiritual blinders. One time I was alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. At one time I was a stranger lost without hope in this world. But God. But God. But God. But God who is rich in mercy. With his great love wherewith he loved us. In that while we were yet in sin. Christ died for us. Whoo! Glory be to God. Hallelujah. You try to explain 
that Jesus has come in and I'm a changed person, somebody in the world will say, well, that's foolishness, that's crazy. But you say, oh, what a difference since Jesus passed by. You'd be like that blind man sitting by the side of Jericho Road when Jesus came by and anointed his eyes and made clay. And he went and washed and he came back seeing when, when the Levites and the scribes and the Pharisees inquired of him, are you this person that used to sit on the roadside begging? Is that you? Yes, that's me. Is it true that a man named Jesus came by and anointed your eyes? Yes, that's true. Well, don't you know he's a sinner? Don't you know that he shouldn't be doing things like that? He even claims to be the Son of God. And that person that once was blind said, Whether he be a sinner or not, I don't know. I don't know theology. All I know is I once was blind, but now I see. All I know is that bondage is gone and I've got freedom in the Lord Jesus. All I can tell you is that I used to wear those chains of addiction. I used to wear those chains of depression and anxiety. But when I met Jesus, all of that changed. And I've been made free and I'm healed and I'm blessed by the relationship that I have with the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8. Paul says there's a danger that you lose what you saw when the blinders were taken off. In Revelation, it's called your first works. You remember those days? Twas an old-fashioned meeting in an old-fashioned place when some old-fashioned sinners found some old-fashioned grace. As an old-fashioned sinner, I began to pray and God heard me and saved me in the old-fashioned way. That's too old for you to know, I know. But it says the, exactly what the theology is of getting saved. Brother, when you get saved, all things are made new. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. You don't walk like you used to walk. You don't talk like you used to talk. You don't act like you used to act. Glory to God. You're a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. Listen to what Colossians 2 and 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men and after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. So we've got this dichotomy going on here, this dualism of natural and spiritual. And Paul is telling the people who are now spiritual, don't be deceived into going back and being what you used to be. Don't be deceived in giving up the ground that you've gained. Don't be deceived because some earthly philosopher comes along and gives you some vain, repetitious advice after the tradition of men. After the rudiments of the world. Rudiments of the world. What are you talking about? Rudiments of the world. Those basic things that all worldlings have. Survival. Get ahead. Can all you get. Get all you can. Those are the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Colossians 2 and 8, see to it, this is your new, uh, uh, the international version says it this way, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. What a beautiful way to say it. Don't let anybody put you back in bondage. Don't let anybody put you back in prison. Don't, don't let anybody put you back in what God brought you out of. Don't let anybody 
talk you out of what God has done in your life. Don't let anybody through wisdom or whatever of this world try to convince you of something that you know better spiritually. Boy, that's great. I love that. 2 Timothy 2 and 24. This is good. I'll probably leave you with this. 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. And the servant of the Lord must not strive. In other words, he's at peace with all men. He has a contentment in God and a contentment in Jesus. He has not got any identity problems. He knows that he is a sinner saved by grace, that if he got what he deserved, he'd bust hell wide open. But because of what Jesus did, he doesn't have to go to hell. And he knows that, and he won't be talked out of that. No philosopher can talk him out of what God has done. Then the servant of the Lord must not be upset and agitated, but be gentle unto all men and apt to teach and patience. And in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Do you know people that just work against their own good? Some of you nodding your head. It seems like they do everything in the world they can do to make life just as miserable as it is. And you tell them about a better way. And they say, oh, I'd like to have that. I'd, I want that. But before long, you discover they go back to the hog wallow, and the dog goes back to his vomit, and the hog goes back to the wallowing in the pig pen. How do you get rid of that, Pastor? Just a minute, and I'll tell you. Instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the knowledge of the truth. Verse twenty. Six, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. How is it possible for a Christian to be taken captive by the devil? Where's that pen I use to drop when it gets quiet? How is it possible? Well, read it now. Let's, uh, let's see it all together. And that they may recover themselves. In other words, God's grace is sufficient, but you've got to do it. He won't come down and take the bottle out of your hand. He won't come down and take the needle out of your arm. And if you go back to dabbling in the things that it got you out of, then you're going to get in the same mess you were in. He says that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. And those people that are in the snare of the devil are taken captive by him at the devil's will. In other words, the devil wants to do what he wants to do. Are you listening to this preacher this morning? The devil wants to have, have sway. He wants to have power. He wants to catch people in his snare and take them captive. You see, there's a difference in being possessed by a devilish spirit and being oppressed by a devilish spirit. The devil or any other evil, foul, or wicked spirit can cross the bloodline of Jesus. A Christian cannot be possessed with the devil. but he can be oppressed by the devil. I quoted it to you a few minutes ago in Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost, who went about doing good, healing all that were sick and oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Did you hear? Who were sick and oppressed by the devil. And I want to tell you that, that just because we're Christians, it does not mean that we're not attacked by the devil. In fact, you probably are a target. I know I'm a target. I know the devil would like nothing better than to destroy ministry, destroy my family, destroy my home, destroy my marriage, destroy all of that. There's a, a target right here on this guy, I promise you, because he could get so much done if he could get someone in leadership to fall. 
And for the devil to take captive people to act on his behalf is a terrible thing who are taken captive by him at his will. How do I recover? You want to be a recoverer? How do I recover myself? 1 John 5 and 18. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not or continues in the habit of sinning, but he that is begotten of God keeps himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. How do I recover? I keep myself. He that is begotten of God keepeth himself. And that wicked one toucheth him not. He may have a snare laid out there for me. He may have a net out there to catch me in. He may have some device that he intends to use. But if I keep myself, I keep myself. I keep myself in the Word. I keep myself on my knees. I keep my eyes upon Jesus. I keep myself in church. I keep my mouth from speaking lies. I keep my hands from doing evil. I keep my spirit from becoming lukewarm. I keep my mind from vain imaginations. I keep my heart from disbelief. I keep my worship sincere and my prayers fervent and my character pure and my relationship close. And if you'll keep yourself, then the Bible says God will keep you by the power of God. I am kept by the power of God. You might as well change your tactics, Satan, because I'm kept by the power of God. You'll never get me. You'll never touch me as long as I'm kept by the power of God, and keep myself. Wow. That means I have an obligation there, don't I? Colossians 2 and 20. Come on, Olivia. Colossians 2 and 20. Whereunto if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? Yes, this is a church that goes through difficulties. But we're a church that Jesus died for. We're a church that Jesus gave his blood for. Ephesians 5 and 25. It's not in the notes. The Holy Ghost just dropped that in. Husbands, love your wives. Come on, ladies. I just set it up for you. Great. And you missed the cue. Husbands, love your wives. I even give you a second chance and you missed it again. Do you not want your husband to love you? Husbands, love your wives. There you go. Praise the Lord. I, I bet you them men would do a lot better job on that question. Even as Christ... Also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might redeem it by the washing of water and by the word. The Bible tells us in Paul's final words when he wrote to his friends at Ephesus, he said, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and over all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. A church that is blood-bought, a church that is spirit-filled. Why, as one preacher said, you can't lose with the stuff we use. If God is on your side, and if God is for you and God is with you, then you're kept by the power of God. And if you keep yourself, then the evil one toucheth you not. Stand with me, please. 
You know what I think? I think when this heart monitor gets back to Illinois, they're probably going to call me and say, what were you doing at 11 o'clock on Sunday? Because I feel it kind of picking up just a little bit. I'm glad that I know in my knower the Lord Jesus. And I want to tell you, if He's not all to you that I preached about today, then you pray and seek Him till you find Him and know Him like that. Yes, I can pray for you, but I can't do what you've got to do. And if you realize while I've been preaching this message today, I could do a better job of serving Him. I could do a better job with my witness. I could do a better job. Yes, I know there are people in the world that think I do foolishly, but I'm not going to quit telling them that Jesus died for them and that Jesus loves them and Jesus cares for them. I'm not going to quit doing that. I was playing with a guy the other day and uh, he don't normally play with me. And uh, you know, probably know who I'm talking about, Heath. And we got to the 16th hole. He looked at me and he said, Preacher, would you mind if I drank a beer? I'm about to die. I said, have you not been drinking because of me? I just didn't want to drink one of your prayer. I wouldn't offend you for nothing in the world. I said, hey, go right ahead and drink all you want of them. I said, I don't expect people that are sinners and lost to act like Christians. But I said, something can happen in your life that will change that. I said, something can happen in your life that can change that. I said, something can happen in your life that will change that. I said, why to expect you to act like me would be like walking around to a casket and telling a corpse to straighten his tie. I don't expect people who don't know the Lord to live like we live. I want God's people to live a higher standard so that the evil one won't touch you. I want God's people to think differently, not according to the rudiments of the world, but what the Spirit has revealed in your life that searches all things. Thank you, God, for allowing us today to be in your house. I felt your anointing as I preached these words today. And I thank you for the love of God. How rich and pure. How measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels song. Lord, go with us out of these doors to become the church in the world. A city that is set up on a hill and it cannot be hid. Lord, let this church be a church that is known for reaching lost people. God, let this church be a church that is in your hand to be used by God. Keep us safe, O oh Lord, in our travels today as we go from our homes to our families and wherever we may go and bring us back without the loss of a person. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.